Welcome to Happily Reformed, a podcast where we discuss practical theology for the average Joe from a Reformed perspective. I am your host, Jimmy Snowden. Well, usually at the beginning of each episode, I give something of an intro to the episode, the particular episode, and um, I give something of a teaser to let you know what the episode is going to be about. But I want to start off with an announcement. Usually I reserve the announcements for the end of the podcast. I put them at the very end. And I'm not sure how many of you uh, don't listen all the way through. If you don't listen all the way through, then you are, I don't want to say you're a bad human, but you're very naughty and you need to listen all the way through. So for those of you who don't listen all the way through, I just want to make you aware of an announcement. I'm going to be starting a book study Um, through a book called A Radical Comprehensive Call to Holiness by Joel Beakey and Michael Barrett. It's a rather, it's a new book put out within the last year or so. um, And we're going to be just walking through uh, a chapter a week. And I'm putting a link to buy the book in the show notes. And of course, you can buy this book anywhere that books are sold. You can get it at Amazon or, you know, Barnes and Noble or... Uh, you know, any anywhere where books are, are sold. Uh, but I put a, a link f- uh, for the Reformation Heritage or Heritage Reformation Bookstore. Uh, this is uh, the bookstore that uh, Joel Beakey, who is the author of the book, um, that, that he oversees. So just want to, you know, encourage you to to get the book through that uh, website. Just be, just to, you know, um, to support Joel Beakey's ministry. I think it's a great thing. So anyways, I would like you to get the book. I'm going to be starting the book study uh, within the next month, uh, hopefully the beginning of August, middle of August. But I want you to buy the book and follow along with me. I'm not going to be talking about everything that is in the book because for multiple reasons, (laughs) but uh, it's just going to be hitting on some of the high points. And um, so I want you to follow along the book and join in the discussion. I think it'll be a great uh, project. It'll be an encouragement to, to you and to me as well. And so I just wanted to make that announcement. So go ahead and buy that book and uh, join me. Join me in the study. So uh, in this episode, we're going to be discussing the ironic processes of God. In particular, we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 1, verse 10, where Paul talks about approving the things that are excellent. And you'll kind of see how the ironic processes of God uh, come into play in that passage. So anyways, I hope that this uh, episode is an encouragement to you and uh, sit back and enjoy the show. Well, I'm coming to you from the camper van again. Uh, I've done a couple episodes from the camper van. My in-laws have a camper and sometimes they bring it over to our house and we, Crystal and I, use it. And it's just a perfect little getaway. Um, I'll, I'll take a day and I'll come out and get some kind of peace and quiet. It's weird because it's right down in our driveway, but it feels, when you're in here, it feels like you're in your own little like you're you're in your own little campsite. It's just the perfect little getaway. And sometimes I'll come out and read and I'll um I've recorded a couple podcasts out here and it really is just a perfect little place to clear the mind, spend some time reading and thinking 
and I'll watch a little TV. I watched some SpongeBob SquarePants <laughs> while, while eating lunch when I came out here earlier today. Um, but I'm going to, I, I want to focus in on one little word in Philippians chapter one, verse 10. It's the word excellent. Uh, I guess before jumping in, I, I do want to say, you know, uh, I, I don't have an outline for these podcasts. What I do is I kind of go throughout the week and I'll be thinking on a particular passage or on a particular uh, set of verses and throughout the week, I'll just kind of meditate on it. And generally, as I do that throughout the week, sometimes I'll read a com- some commentaries, but usually I don't. I'll just kind of meditate on the truth of what I'm reading. And sometimes I'll have kind of a general outline in my head of what I want to say, because I've prepared so many sermons and Bible studies. It kind of ha- happens naturally. But sometimes I don't have much of an outline. I just know that I have a few things that I want to say. And sometimes while I'm talking, you know, doing the podcast, some things will come to my mind in the in the middle of a podcast. Uh, so this is kind of, you know, I'm shooting from the hip. And so if you hear me say, um, a lot, uh, there, I just did it. <laughs> if you hear me say, um, a lot, and you hear me say, and a lot, and because as I'm thinking about what I'm going to say next, I'll say, and uh, that's the reason why I, I, this is not intended to be anything super polished. It's a very, I consider what I, what I'm shooting for here is just a very relaxed conversational time with the Bible, uh, with theology. And, uh, I, I, I hope it's helpful for you, but I want to focus in on one little word in Philippians one verse 10 and it's the word excellent. Now let me read verses 9 through 11, just to get it in the context. Paul says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. So here Paul in verse 9, is praying for the Philippian Christians, and he prays that their love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So that, in other words, he's praying that they would not just be loving, but that their love would be informed by, directed by, the truth of God's word. But there's a purpose why does he want them to why does he want their love to abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment well in verse 10 he says so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ so the reason why he wants them wants their love to abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment is so that they may approve what is excellent you cannot approve what is excellent unless your love is abounding with knowledge and all discernment. But if your love is abounding with knowledge and all discernment, then you will be able to approve what is excellent. Now, the question that I would like to ask and answer in this podcast, this episode, is what what are the things that are excellent? And it, actually, this is a, the word excellent in the original. It's a 
it's a participle and so the best way to translate it would be so that you may approve the things that are excellent that would be the best way to to translate that if you're going for the most literal way of translating it what are the things that are excellent that paul wants them to approve and you cannot approve the things that are excellent if if your love if you're not if your love is not abounding in knowledge and all discernment well i had a a teacher a professor he was my intermediate greek professor his name was dr tomlinson at midwestern baptist theological seminary and i took this class uh, intermediate greek it would have been over 15 years ago it was 2000 and 2005 i believe maybe 2006 uh so about 15 years ago it's a long time ago and for uh our intermediate greek class dr tomlinson walked us through the book of philippians and i remember him talking about this word excellent and the word is diaferenta diaferenta and what dr tomlinson argued is he said diaferenta is is like any other word virtually any word in every language can have multiple meanings depending upon the context and the word diaferenta can have many different meanings it can mean the things that are superior or the things of greatest value or one of the the ways to interpret diaferenta is the things which differ and dr tomlinson argued that that would be that he he believes that that is the most the best way of translating this verse in other words and and you you hear that and when i first heard dr tomlinson say this i was like what what does that even mean so you're 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 saying that paul is praying that the love of the philippians would abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that they may approve the things which differ (laughs) what does that mean i mean i remember being confused by that but dr tomlinson explained it and what he what the way he explained it it actually makes quite a bit of sense what what do you mean by the things which differ and dr tomlinson used this word or this phrase he talked about the ironic processes of god the things which differ are the ironic processes of god god works in mysterious ways god's ways are not our ways god's ways from a worldly perspective are upside down and inside out you think of paul in in uh second corinthians chapter 12 where is strength found in weakness that's a thing which differs it doesn't make sense from a from a worldly perspective that doesn't add up how do you what is the what is the key to strength it's weakness because the more weak you are the more dependent you become upon christ instead of depending upon your own strength and your own wisdom and your own might the more weak you are the more you see how empty you are and so the more you rely upon this true source of strength which is christ himself so the the way to strength is weak is weakness the way to uh greatness is service right and and what 
And these are the ironic processes of God, the upside-down, inside-out ways of God, that God accomplishes his purposes in, in, in ways that confound the wisdom of the wise. And it takes wisdom, or it takes knowledge and all understanding to approve the things which differ. It takes knowledge and all discernment to approve these ironic processes of God. That God accomplishes things in a way that confounds the wisdom of the wise. How do how is the kingdom of God advanced? Through a foolish message. From the through the foolishness, through the, the preaching of Christ crucified. How did Christ get victory? Through his death. Isn't that incredible? I mean everything everything is ironic. From a worldly perspective, it doesn't make sense. And what Dr. Tomlinson argued was that throughout the book of Philippians, you see God's ironic processes put on display. And so you see it in verse chapter 1, verse 12. By the way, this is a podcast, so if you're driving in your car, don't turn there. Just listen, right? I don't want you to get into an accident. I care for you. I want you to be safe. So anyways, if you don't, if you're, if you can turn there, if you have a Bible open in front of you, but if you're driving, then don't read while you drive. By the way, that, I don't think I really needed to say that, but anyways, I I did. So I guess we're stuck with it. It's forever in this podcast. So Paul says in in, uh, Philippians chapter one, verse 12, think of the ironic processes of God here. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me and what is what has happened to Paul? He's been put in prison. Now, what would you think if if someone why would why would someone put the apostle Paul in prison for preaching the gospel? Their, the purpose of them of, of putting him in prison would be to keep him from continuing to preach the gospel. And you would think Paul being put in prison would bring the 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 expansion of the kingdom of God and the expansion of the gospel, you think it would bring it to a screeching halt. But what happened when Paul was put in prison? I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. This is the ironic processes of God. How How is the gospel advanced? Through persecution. Now, you would think persecution would would be a detriment to the expansion of the gospel, the advancement of the gospel. You would think that throwing the number, your number one, you know, ace in, you know, what do they call it, ace in the hole or whatever, your, your number one guy having to be put in prison would be detrimental to the advancement of the kingdom, would be detrimental to the cause of Christ in the world. But actually, throwing Paul in prison, what what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So Paul being thrown in prison, not only has it brought the advancement of the gospel to a screeching halt, it has actually propelled the gospel forward. 
because Paul was perfectly situated to preach the gospel to the imperial guard and to all the rest in Rome. You think the and the imperial imperial guard were were Caesar's personal bodyguards. I mean, imagine if I were to be thrown in prison because of of my Christianity, and you know your church was to be praying for me and keeping in contact with me, and I was put in prison in in uh, in, in Washington D.C. and I was to write you a letter. And I was to tell you, hey guys, don't don't lose heart. My imprisonment has actually worked for the advancement of the gospel. I know that that I know that they're trying to put a gag in my mouth by putting me in prison, but them putting me in prison has prison has situated me to preach the gospel to those in Joe Biden's cabinet. Now I want to I want to share a passage with you from the from the very end of Philippians. I consider this passage to be the mic drop of the book of Philippians. It is a mic drop, big time. It's Philippians chapter 4, verse 21 and 22. Paul says, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. That was a mic drop. All the saints greet you. He's talking about the saints in Rome. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. What does that mean? That that not only have people been converted through the gospel, Paul preaching the gospel in prison, but even those of Caesar's household, those who are closest to Caesar, those who are those who inhabit Caesar's palace. <laughs> uh, um, I guess I should clarify. Not the Las Vegas Caesar's palace, right? But Caesar's, very literally Caesar's household, the real you know, Roman Caesar. Those of Caesar's household greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. In other words, there are Christians, because of Paul's imprisonment, there there are Christians in Caesar's household. Paul is getting to preach the gospel to the most significant, the most important people on the face of the planet. So they throw Paul in prison, thinking that this is going to put the expansion of the gospel to a screeching halt, but it has actually served for, it has worked for the advancement of the gospel, as you see in chapter 1, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So the, the, the gospel is advanced through persecution. You see the same thing in the book of Acts chapter 8, where how, do, how does God get the gospel to all the nations? Well, persecution rises up in Jerusalem. The Christians in Jerusalem run for their lives, very literally, because they are being hunted. And as they run for their lives to here, there, and everywhere they take the message of Christ crucified with them, right? And this is God's upside-down, ironic, 
ways, way of, of getting the gospel to all the nations. This persecution spreads out the Christians in Jerusalem. And as they run for their lives, they take the gospel with them. And they share the gospel as they're running for their lives. And as they do so, the gospel gets spread here, there, and everywhere. And it's his way. You would think that the gospel, that, that persecution would be detrimental to the expansion of the kingdom and to the advancement of the gospel of Christ. But in God's ironic processes, persecution actually serves the advancement of the gospel. And you think of, of God's ironic processes, the things which differ. You know, Paul is praying here that their love would abound more and more with all with knowledge and all discernment, that they may approve the things which differ, these ironic processes of God, the things that don't make sense, the things that, that look contradictory on the outside. You think of Joseph. God gives Joseph a dream, right? Where his brothers and his parents are going to bow down to him. And you would think that that there would be a straight line from the promise of God to Joseph that that his brothers and his, his parents would bow down to him. Do you think there would be a straight line between the promise in that dream and the fulfillment of that dream? But there's not. How does God accomplish his purpose in, in Joseph's life? Well, his brothers, you know, he he shares this dream with his brothers. His brothers beat him up, throw him in a pit, and then say, oh, why would we leave him to die when we can sell him as a slave? So they sell him to, you know, the, the caravan. The caravan, uh, they sell him to this caravan that's headed down to Egypt. The caravan uh, takes Joseph down to Egypt. And, and by the way, you're looking at all this saying, okay, I thought Joseph, his brothers were supposed to bow down to him. And here they are beating him up, throwing him in a, a pit, and then sell him into sl- selling him into slavery. This doesn't make any sense. It looks like God's purposes have failed. This, this Doesn't it look like God's purposes have failed? Here, where he was promised that his brothers and his parents would be bowing down to him, and here they're kill, trying to kill him, throwing him in a pit, and throwing him into slavery. And down in Egypt, Joseph sort of rises up the ranks and becomes a, a high-ranking person in Potiphar's house, the leader of Egypt. And you think, oh, okay, so this is how God is going to accomplish his purposes. Clearly, you know, things are now starting to look like the dream that Joseph had, that, that God's promise in that dream is going to be fulfilled. But then Potiphar's wife, remember, seduces Job, and Job flees because he's a man of integrity. She falsely accuses him of sexual immorality and has him thrown in prison. And so now you look at it and you're thinking, what is God doing it looks like God, God's promise, God has not been faithful to his promise. It looks like God has failed to fulfill the promise to Joseph now. And, and Joseph is down in prison and he interprets a dream uh, of the cupbearer and the baker. And, and remember, the cupbearer forgets about him. And then Pharaoh has, and so Joseph is forgot about in prison. And all this time that goes by, you have to think that Joseph was sitting there thinking, Lord, what are you doing? You've given me this promise that my, my brothers and my family was going to bow down to me, bow down to me. But here I am 
in a foreign land, sold as a slave, falsely accused, and now imprisoned. And I've forgotten. I, I, I interpreted the cupbearer's dream, and now here I am, forgotten about in prison, languishing in prison. But then Pharaoh has a dream. Joseph interprets that dream accurately and sets Egypt up, Pharaoh up, to be uh, to, to, to gain wealth during a coming famine. And then there is a famine up in the land of Canaan where Joseph's family is. And they finally, after all these years, I don't know how long it was, but it, the idea in the book of Genesis is that it was quite some time. I don't know how long, but it would have been many years after this dream had been given and all these twists and turns and ups and downs and all of these things where you have hopelessness and despair and all these other things that finally his brothers and his parents come down and bow down to him and Joseph is able to meet their needs as Pharaoh's or uh, yeah as Pharaoh's right-hand man uh to provide them grain to provide them sustenance and finally this God's promises are fulfilled in Joseph's life and you look at the this the story of Joseph and I could I could look at many, point you to many many other illustrations throughout the entire Old Testament and New Testament of the ironic processes of God the things which differ God's the the ironic processes of God where he accomplishes his purposes in a way that confounds the wisdom of the wise and and it takes their love the philippians now remember we're talking about philippians in philippians their love he want, he's praying that their love would abound in knowledge and all discernment why because if you don't have discernment imagine being joseph in egypt and you did not have the knowledge of god's word and the discernment that comes from god's word you, it will lead you to despair because god does not accomplish his his purposes, he does not fulfill his promises in a way that makes sense from a worldly perspective. His ways are not our ways. As far as the heavens are above the uh, our heads, so uh, are above the earth. So are his ways ab ab above our heads. God works on a completely different plane. His purposes and his ways are ironic. They're upside down and inside out from a worldly perspective. And so Paul prays that the Philippians, that their, their eyes, that they, they would have the knowledge and discernment to be able to approve the things which differ. That they would be able to approve God's ways. And you need this knowledge and you need this discernment because God, God's ways, you, you can't reason your way. To God's ways. In fact, you find in the book of Romans, let me just read this from Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, Paul says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, and how inscrutable his ways how inscrutable his ways 
You cannot find out his ways through the use of reason and rationale. You need biblical revelation in order to discern his ways. You need biblical discernment. His ways, his the way the how he accomplishes his purpose purposes you need biblical discernment to figure it out and if you don't have knowledge and all discernment you as you walk the christian life you will be led to despair and frustration if you are not guided by biblical truth because God accomplishes his purposes in ways that don't look right from a worldly perspective. He leaves his people hanging all the time so that we might learn to depend upon him and trust his promises more. Now there's another ironic process of God in Philippians. And it's found, the first one is the advancement of the gospel through persecution. The second is found in chapter 2. Remember you have the uh, the division within the, ch- the church in Philippi with Euodia and Syntyche? Well, the reason why they're at each other's throats is because they're not considering each other as more significant than themselves. So Paul says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is an upside-down thing. It's it's an ironic process of God. How do you get to the place of... How do you get your way? Well, the world will tell you this. The way that you get your way is by pounding your chest and demanding your rights. By stomping your feet. Throwing a tantrum. The way you get your way is is by climbing on the back of other people and clawing and scrapping and stepping on, on the back of other people in order to push them down and push yourself up. The way that you get your way is to demand and fight and bicker. The way that you will get your way, the way that you will be exalted is by asserting yourself and your rights. Hello 2021. That's exactly where we are in our culture. Demand your rights. Demand what's rightfully yours. If you don't, if, if, you, if you consider others as more, this is the, re, the reasoning of the world. It's upside down to the world. This is why it's the, an ironic process of God. It's something that differs. It confounds the wisdom of the wise. The wisdom of our age. Because our the world tells you that if you want to get somewhere, if you want to become something, if you want to get your way or whatever, if you want to be exalted, then you have you you had better not consider others as being more significant than yourselves. You'd better assert yourself, you better demand your rights, you better stomp your feet, and you better sell yourself, promote yourself. But the way to exaltation in the book of Philippians is not through self-assertion and demanding your rights and, and stepping on other people and clawing on other people and climbing up over their back and, and stepping on them to get what you want. The way to exaltation in the book of Philippians is through considering others as more significant than yourself and not looking out for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. And the world looks at that, and the world will look at that and say, that's not a way to, to self-exalt, uh, to, to exaltation. 
That's a losing strategy. You, you're telling me that you, you want to be exalted and the way that you're going to pursue being exalted is, is by considering others as being more significant than yourselves? I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard this uh, even at work. They said, I've heard people say that the problem with you Christians is that you turn the other cheek. You guys are too nice. You turn the other cheek. But if you want to get something done, you, you've got to learn to demand and you've got to learn to stomp your feet and you've got to learn to scrap and to claw. Uh, there's, a, there's a sense in which they're correct that sometimes Christians are um, not as wise as serpents, right? And that's a problem. We have to strategize and think things through. We don't want to just be idiots. And yet at the same time, the way to exaltation is not through self-promotion and asserting and demanding your rights. The way to exaltation in the book of Philippians is through considering others as more significant than yourselves. Well, then you're just going to become a doormat. Well, the people are just going to take advantage of you. That's what the world says. But what happened when Jesus, and this is what Paul goes on to talk about, he says in verse 5, he gives the example of Jesus. Jesus considered sinners as being more significant than himself. He did not look out for his own interests only. He looked out for the interests of sinners. He who was rich for your sake became poor, so that we through his poverty might become rich. He considered not just himself, but he considered the interests of sinners. And he came... And he had, it says here in verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though, although he was in the form of God, did not equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You want to be exalted? Humble yourself. Humility selfless, self-sacrificial humility, serving others, considering others as more significant than yourselves, than yourself. That is the way to humility. That is an, that is ironic. That is an ups, that is upside down. That is one of the things that differs. You need knowledge and all discernment that you may approve the things which differ, these ironic processes of God. The way to strength is weakness. The way to advance the gospel is persecution. The way to exaltation is humility, selflessness, service, sacrificial service, sacrificial love. And look what happened when Jesus humbled himself. He didn't just sort of humble himself. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The most shameful, humiliating form of death that you can imagine. And what happened when Jesus humbled himself? Considered, our, considered us more significant than himself. And did not look out for his own interests, but looked out for our interests. What happened when he did not assert himself and demand his rights? What happened when he, in fact, let go of his rights? 
was he taken advantage of? No. Look what ha look what happens in verse 9. Well, if you're driving, don't look. <laughs> verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him, ev him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What happened when Jesus did not consider consider his own interests, but also the interests of others? What happens when he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross? What happened when he, when he um, didn't look out for his own interests, but looked out for the interests of sinners? God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. He was exalted as high as you can possibly ever be exalted. When he, and so this brings to mind, doesn't it? What uh, I believe it's in First Peter chapter 5. Let's see here, First Peter 5. You can probably hear me thumbing through my Bible. Bible. First Peter chapter 5. Where Peter says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Why? Why would you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God? So that at the proper time, he may exalt you. What is the way, what, what is the, the secret, the secret recipe to exaltation? Humility. Humble yourselves. That's the ironic process of God. What is the way to strength? Weakness. What is the way to the advancement of the gospel? Persecution. What is the way to greatness? We know it from Jesus and the gospels. What is the way of greatness? Service. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the way to greatness. Is sacrificial service. Sacrificial love. And the way to exaltation is humility. Euodia, Syntyche, stop demanding your rights. Stop considering yourself as more important than your sister. Consider your sister as more significant than yourself. Don't look out for your own interests, Euodia. Look out for the interests of Syntyche. Hey, Syntyche, don't look out for your own interests. Look out for the interests of Euodia. Did I get that backwards? Did I get that right? I don't know. The way to exaltation is not through selfishly demanding what's rightfully yours. It's not for taking a stand and stomping your feet and beating your chest and demanding your rights and clawing and scratching and stepping on people to get where you want to go. The way to exaltation is selfless, sacrificial humility. And if you, and, and, and by the way, it takes knowledge and all discernment to approve this ironic process of God. With the wisdom of the world, you will look at this and say, that's just a recipe to be treated as a doormat, to be taken advantage of. But here's, this is where we're different as Christians, isn't it? See, if, if you seek your own interests and you fight for your own rights, guess how far you're going to get? You're going to get as far as you can get yourself and no further. Just like what Jesus says, you know, in, in Matthew chapter 6, when he says, you know, that the, the Pharisees have received their reward. 
by praying on the street corner. You know, they've received their reward in full. And, and they did receive a, a reward because people applauded them and everything else for, you know, giving and fasting and praying on the street corner in order to be seen by men. They did receive their reward, but the reward was very short-lived. But what happens if you pray in secret? Then God will reward you. And this is what we learn with Jesus. When Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, what happened? God highly exalted him. So, so you may want to be exalted and you may want to get your own way. And, But if you do that in your own strength, if you take your own exaltation into your own hands, you're only going to be exalted to the point where you can exalt yourself. But if you leave exaltation into the hands of God, you will be exalted to the degree that God is able to exalt you. And guess what? God is able to exalt you much higher than you can exalt yourself. He exalted Christ. He gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me just say this. I don't, I don't know what you're going through in your life. But you need to embrace the ironic processes of God. Because I, I'm sure of this. I, I know that I don't have a huge <clears throat> podcast audience. But I'm sure that the 0.13 of you who are listening um, to the podcast. You're going through difficult times. And if you don't have the biblical discernment. If you don't have the knowledge and all discernment, it is easy to despair. It is easy to grow weary in doing good. If you don't know and embrace the ironic processes of God. Because oftentimes it looks like God has forgotten you. And oftentimes it looks like God has... You're looking at it and you're saying, My, God, my goodness, God has made me these promises and it looks like they're not coming true. Has God forgotten to be gracious, as the psalmist says in Psalm 77? Has God forgotten his promises? And sometimes you, you just like with Joseph, you can imagine him being there in prison after receiving this dream and him questioning, has, is God faithful? Is his word true? I mean, he's promised me all this, but look where I am. I'm in prison. And Joseph was in prison for, you know, he was down in the in the dumps for a long time before he was exalted. And there were t twists and turns and ups and downs. And, and if you don't have biblical wisdom and biblical knowledge to, and biblical discernment to approve the things that differ, <clears throat> you will be led to discouragement and even despair, wondering, has God forgotten to be gracious? Has God forgotten his promises? And you may be looking at your own life and the difficulties that you're walking through. And you may be saying, my goodness, I thought God said this and that, but it seems like he's not faithful to his word because look at where I am. I've trusted him. I'm obeying him. I'm following him. But look at where I am. It seems that God has forgotten. It seems that he's forgotten his promise. But if you know the ironic processes of God, 
but he accomplishes his work, he accomplishes his purposes in a way that confounds the wisdom of the wise. These upside down, from a worldly perspective, upside down, backwards, ironic processes of God. See, only, you know, biblical, the Bible will tell you if you're thrown into prison and everything seems to be a lost cause, you can be sure of this, that God has not forgotten his purposes. You may feel forgotten, but God has not forgotten you. God has not forgotten you. He accomplishes his purposes in a way that confounds the wisdom of the wise. Well, that's all I have for you now. I hope that you take, you know, find encouragement in this, and I hope that you pray this for yourself. This is a, you know, something that you can pray. Lord, may my may I abound in love more and more with knowledge and all discernment <clears throat> so that I may approve the things which differ, so that I may approve your ironic processes and not be thrown into the depths of discouragement and depression when things seemingly go wrong. Well, I hope that you pray that for yourself, and I hope this is an encouragement to you. Well, I hope that you have enjoyed this episode of the Happily Reformed Podcast. I hope it's been an encouragement to you. Uh, I want to just remind you that we are going to be getting a book study on the book A Radical Comprehensive Call to Holiness by Joel Behe and Michael Barrett. Um, And we're going to be starting that in August sometime. Uh, Don't forget to uh, purchase the book and I will leave a link in the show notes so that you know where to find it. Uh, I want you to follow along with me. I think it's going to be a great study. I'm going to do some more stuff in Philippians. You know, I'm just taking some of the some of the things that jump out at me. This isn't a thorough study of Philippians. Just little studies here, you know, a verse here, a verse there. And uh, But anyways, I really hope it's been an encouragement to you. I, I can say that I've been talking with my wife, uh, with Crystal, and I've told her, hey, you know, I've been looking for a hobby for quite some time and I think I found it now with podcasting I mean this is really uh it's not as stressful as a as a blog or writing uh you know writing articles and stuff like that Uh, you know I I spend time all week kind of meditating on the passage that I'm you know I have an idea and I think about the passage all week and I kind of meditate on it and think about what I'm going to talk about I don't even write notes I just hit record and I just start talking and what comes out comes out. (laughs) So anyways, I hope it's been an encouragement to you. I can't wait to start the book study and we're just going to kind of continue to, you know, uh, work our way through Philippians and, uh, please, um, like, you know, the, the podcast, share it with your friends, share it on, uh, Twitter or Facebook or wherever you do your social media in. And, um, I really hope that you've enjoyed it and you can always reach me at happilyreformed at gmail.com and I appreciate you listening in and contributing to the conversation and I uh, will catch you on the next one. Stay happily reformed.